Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Let me have everyone stand up. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to take a deep breath in. And exhale. Father, it is indeed your breath that fills our lungs and we are grateful for it. Lord, we are thankful for all the things that we have that we take for granted, even toothbrush, toothpaste, soap, family, friends, the care and love that we have, the support from people around us. Lord, these things are gifts. And Lord, as we lean in this morning to this series, Inspire, and talking about poetry, I pray that you indeed would inspire us, that your breath would continue to fill us, and that we would continue to breathe out your love to the world around us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning we are continuing this Inspire series. This one is going to be an expression of poetry. I want to talk to you about breathing in the name of God, the Amazon logo and Psalm 119, books and movies, the Wright Brothers, the biology of poetry, Mount Whitney, and an island in Canada. Okay, I'm going to put these all together. Now, This idea of breathing, right? When we breathe in, remember our story in scripture begins with the kiss where God breathes life into humanity and gives us his life. So to inhale is to breathe in, to inspire is to have life breathed into us, right? When a person expires, they let go of their last breath. The whole idea is that there is life being breathed into us. And we've been looking at all the different ways that life is breathed into us. You know, it's interesting in the Hebrew, the name of God, Yahweh, is actually a name that we have added vowels to it because in the Hebrew, they do not put vowels to the name because they considered it so holy that it couldn't be uttered. And so they took out the vowels and we are guessing what it is. And when they would say the name of God, they would actually pronounce the the consonants, that's the word, and it would sound like breathing. They would just say the consonants and it would be as if they were breathing. And what an amazing thing to try and make something special. It's let's take out the vowels so everyone can only breathe this name. I mean, what a creative expression 
that's better than the artist formerly known as, right? I mean, this is a great way of expressing who God is. He's special. We can't utter his name. It is beyond our ability to comprehend. What shall we do? We're going to take out the vowels and we're going to just breathe his name. We've been looking at the various ways how God breathes life into us through inspiration. We talked about creation. We had Edmund here painting for us that time. And we talked about how God has created us in his image and the ability to create is one of those ways his image is seen in us. Where bees create hives, ants create colonies, people create futures. We have this ability to do amazing things and it's one of the expressions that we have that actually can be a part of how we understand who God is with this capability. Sorry, I'm having a hard time. I got to slow down. I'm excited this morning and I had a lot of coffee. (laughs) We also talked about enjoying how God has given us freely all things to enjoy and that really every vice is a virtue gone wrong, right? Where eating is a joy, but we can eat too much. I can regularly, right? There are all these different things where we have to have boundaries, but enjoying a good cup of coffee in the morning breathes life into me, right? I mean, literally. We talked about thinking, this ability to process. The human mind is an amazing thing. We talked about how Mark Hauser, that's Doogie's dad, director of the Cognitive Evolution Lab at Harvard University, He said that mounting evidence indicates that in contrast to Darwin's theory of continuity of mind between humans and other species, there is a profound gap that separates our intellect from the animal kind. There's something that didn't evolve. It's something that was there. And it was, he said, a mystery. We looked at some of those things, how we can generate practically limitless varieties of words and concepts. We have the ability to to think of things that don't even exist, abstract things, and we can make them into reality. You know, it's one thing to take a stick, make a hammer, and use it as a tool. It's another thing to split an atom and cause nuclear fusion, right? I mean, something's going on here that is far beyond. It's not always a good thing, but we have this capability to imagine things that aren't even there, to think about infinity, eternity, to have a concept of what that is, is something that actually can inspire us. We talked about dance. It was one of our first expressions, how words are not enough. Emotions cannot contain, be contained by words alone. And every Italian knows you need to use your hands to speak. It is part of our language, and dance is an expression that helps us put language to the things that we are experiencing. And today we're going to look at a second expression, and it is an inspiration of poetry. Did you know that there are over 8,600 verses in Scripture that are poetry? Over 25% of the Bible is poetry. Only seven books in the Bible have no clear poetry within them. One of the books in the Old Testament lacks poetry. It's the book of Esther. It also does not name God at all, but the book itself is an expression that's beautiful. And so they think of it as actually a story, an expression, if you would, a type of poetry. Poetry is so much more than rhyme. Poetry is the ability to paint a picture with your words. 
In the Hebrew, there are three types of poetry that are prevalent. One is imagery, which is kind of like a metaphor. Something like Psalm 92, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Using this example of a deer who's thirsty looking for water as our soul looking for the sustenance that comes from God, it's poetry, it's picture in words. It's helping us to understand that. We talked about this with the kids last Wednesday. We talked about metaphors. Brian taught the kids. It's as big as an elephant or all these things. And that was so much fun. It was a lot of fun with the kids. Their poetry was very interesting as they made up ice cream and things like that. Another type of poetry in the Hebrew scripture is terseness or brevity, trying to get a lot and condense it into small words so that that small sentence means a lot. It's a type of expression. It's a poetry. It's using big thoughts with few words, which is what you guys are all hoping I do this morning. And then there is parallelism, right, where we find the author manipulating the text in order to enrich the meaning of the verse, and there are all kinds of ways that parallelism is used in Hebrew poetry. The most examples, basic examples can see how lines compare to one another. Psalm 113, verses 2 and 3, it says, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. If you were to take the first verse or the first sentence, blessed be the name of the Lord, and the last one, the name of the Lord is to be praised, they are sandwiching this idea from the beginning to the end, from the rising to the setting. This is what is happening. And so it's a type of poetry where we might not, we'll just look at it and say, oh, those are nice words. But in the Hebrew, they're seeing what's happening here. There's a parallel, a connection of these things. And they can parallel words, they can parallel thoughts, they can parallel themes, they can parallel sounds. But there's this kind of rhythm that starts to take place. Poetry helps us to understand the significance of the words themselves. And by doing so, writing and reading poetry makes us understand the significance and every single word and their placement Sometimes without a single word, it can change the entire rhythm and meaning of the poem itself. And we know this. We know this in music. We know this in poetry that we hear. Someone might hear something and it's got a real rhyme to it and then they miss one word or they get a word that sort of rhymes but not quite and you're like, ah, that didn't work. It's something that all fits together. And it's made to bring this kind of continuity. You know, Psalm 119 is the entire Hebrew alphabet. It's using each letter, 22 letters of the alphabet. Each stanza, which is about eight verses, starts with that first letter, the next stanza with the second letter, all the way through all 172, 179 verses. It's like the Amazon logo right? Everything is available from A to Z. Did you guys know what that arrow was for? It goes from the A to the Z. Psalm 119 is the entire Hebrew alphabet. The whole thing together gives a sense of thoroughness, completeness, determination. If you read the psalm, you see how the structure continues to overall idea 
that his desire is to make God's law a part of his life completely from A to Z or whatever the Hebrew equivalent is. The whole point of this song, all 179 verses, it's a long song. It's like, I don't know if you guys remember Indigata Davida back with Iron Butterfly, right? It's a long song and there's a drum solo in there too. The whole point is this is thoroughly covering, or I want to portray that this song covers everything from the first part of our language to the last part of the language. It's encompassing it. The original Greek word from our word poetry comes from poesis, and it means to make. In Plato and Aristotle, poesis gets explained as the creation of something that was not there before and is usually related to art. Aristotle, for example, talks about poesis in the making of plots in plays. An important facet of poesis is that form of content work together to create meaning. Just as we saw in Psalm 119, we're putting all these things together to make meaning. And this is why it's so important to apply the idea of poesis to the shaping of words. It's wordsmithing kind of a thing to produce a new perception, a new meaning, a new emotion of reality to help us not only see, not only have an understanding, but have a feeling of something. And words are used to shape these things so that we can begin to feel more than just think. And when we look at the book of Genesis, especially chapter one in this way, we find we have a shaping of words to create a new perception of reality. Recognizing the literally the liter the literary value that's being used is crucial to the understanding of the intent, and it allows us to experience what the author is intending to say more accurately. Why does chapter two of Genesis say the same thing as chapter one, but differently? Was the author forgetting what he just wrote? Is it contradicting? Did the writer want to portray something else? Is it a poetic literation meant to evoke an emotion and not just convey information? Because Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3 is poetic. And if we don't recognize that, we miss a lot of the nuances that are there. Why is day four like day one in its structure? Why is day six and day three the same in that structure and day five and day two? The writer has done it intentionally, not only in structure, but in some of the thought process. Day one is light. Day four, there's the sun, the moon, the stars. Day two is the sea, the sky. Day five, fish and birds. Day three, land, plants. Day six, animals and humans. Now, if we just read this, we just kind of read it in story form, we miss these nuances that the writer is trying to express poetically what is happening here and help us to see the rhythm in these words. 
And so God said, and it was so. God said, and it was so. This isn't just writing. This is poetic expression trying to capture our attention, capture our imagination, and to pull our emotions into this story. We see again and again, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then it comes to the crescendo. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then we hear it was very good. That our beginning is actually in the poetry of God's expression that it shows up. And as we've seen before, that this idea of being very good is something that is special. And you see, you wouldn't read a math book the same way that you would read a book of poetry. One, you're trying to get information. The other, you're trying to get inspiration. And when we lose this, we lose the ability to sense and get the gist of all the things that are taking place. And we minimize, we don't dilute, we don't take away, we make less than what it was actually intended to be. Remember, before there were cell phones and tablets and TVs, there were stories. There were words. This is how tradition and stories were passed down. They were passed down orally. This is what captured the attention of those little minds sitting around a fire. Now it's a tablet, right? You see kids with magazines pressing on the magazine, trying to get it to swipe, right? It's like, what's with this tablet? It's frozen. Back then, it was the imagination. And we all know, if you've seen a movie that came from a book and you read the book, what does everyone say? The book was better than the movie. Why? Because nothing competes with the imagination. Nothing competes with what I can believe and what I can see. And these stories were just that. It's great we can make movies. It's great we can have other ways of expression. But if we lose this that pulls us into the story, we're losing a great deal. In my first talk about creating, I spoke about the Wright brothers, where they had this idea that they could build a flying machine that could carry a human being, and they did it. They made it. And I gave you some information about it, how they didn't have the money that Samuel Langley had, They didn't have the backing of the War Department. All they had was an idea and a drive. And I gave you some information about the Wright brothers, but I want you to hear this story in a different way. I I want you to be inspired by the story and to ignite your imagination. And I want you to be aware of what you hear and mark in your heart some of the things that might touch you. And so at this point, I'm going to bring an actual poet onto the stage. Brian Oliva, you guys know him, superb. And he's going to give us a poem about the Wright brothers. Good morning. Oh, it's loud. Um, Like Sam said, my name is Brian. My wife, Alex, and I have been officially, unofficially part of um, Genesis for like seven years now. 
when uh, when Sam asked me to run a, a poetry open mic in this very space, and it was mildly successful. But um, I met a lot of you there through that, and um, since then I've been living in that Genesis Works building, trying to finish that. And these pants used to be black, so this is this is dust. Actually, <laughs> I'll be back there later. But um, Sam um, asked me to do the poetry workshop for the kids last Wednesday, and it was amazing the, the poems and stories that came from that. Uh, the aha moment for me was when I said they had, I asked them to make they own their own ice cream shop and they had to make four flavors, and um, three words had to be with the same letters. This is like a practice in alliteration. And so some, they all came up with these different flavors, Blueberry Blast, you know, Bahama, and all these weird things. And the, the moment when I said, did you realize none of these flavors existed till right now? This is the first moment in history any of these flavors are here. A lot of them just kind of stopped, and they almost scared them for a second. Because I think as humans... To be the first to do anything almost scares you, and as adults, even more so. But the kids, for the first time, got an experience to have that, that moment. Um, and Sam talking about the Wright brothers. I, I got an opportunity to write a poem about the Wright brothers, and it was my favorite thing about poetry in general is when you take a story and you can choose who tells the narrative, kind of like a David and Goliath when uh, it could, Samuel's telling the story, right? So we see it from like kind of a movie picturesque kind of thing, but you can tell it from David's point of view, from Goliath's point of view, from if I was the writer, I could have chose the rock to tell the story, or the or the slingshot to tell the story, or the ground, you know, so when I was thinking about how to tell the Wright Brothers story, I was trying to think what perspective I wanted to write it from, and what I chose was if they were writing each other diary entries the night before they flew, what would that look like? Like, you know, how scared they'd be, or what explored it, and this is the poem that came out of it. So, uh, It is the year 1903. Dear brother, tomorrow let us wear the sky on our backs. We might be the first ones besides God to run our fingers through clouds. I'm so excited and nervous. My knees have forgotten their purpose. It's almost as if my legs know they are not needed in the sky. Dear brother, we are not the first to come up with this idea. You know, flying... But while the rest of the dreamers are learning how to play bird, you and I will be making sure our landing brakes work. I wonder what my house looks like from 25 seconds away, dear brother. Many have died attempting to do what we believe to be possible. If these are the last words that I write to you, just know tomorrow we will have flown one way or another. And no falling is always the first step in flying. Ask anything that has wings. Dear brother, if you do fall, keep your eyes open on the way down. Pay attention to detail. These things, they will look like stairs on the way back up. When your bones meet the ground, smell the dirt, memorize the scent of your blood. These are the things your wings will be made out of. We will wear our scars like metals tomorrow. Dear brother, I realized two things on our journey. One, when you find something you're willing to die for, it doesn't matter if you're a poet, a pilot, or a lover. The outcome is always flight. Two, when you die doing what you love, it seems to be the only time people acknowledge that you actually lived. And I want to carve our name into history books tomorrow. Dear brother, tomorrow, beware. Because the ones closest to you, they're going to say, come home. Be a farmer instead, a, a banker, a father, anything that requires feet to floor. When they hand you your work boots in exchange for your wings, tell them. Actually, don't say anything. Just yell from the top of your dream and say, stop giving directions to places you've never been. You cannot fly my plane from your desk. I already picked the star in which I'll write my name, dear brother. Something crazy happens when you're the first to do anything, right? All of a sudden, you find yourself surrounded by experts, scientists in the field of nothing, hoping that you fail, pray that you're a liar, you're an experiment. Your job is to take the impossible 
to take something that everybody knows to be dangerous and move it and shape it until it resembles something peaceful or normal, they will say, let us fly there. We will be the reason they use those words. Our job is to take the impossible and to make it look as easy as flying. Thank you, guys. What a gift, huh? Just, it just like flows. What stood out to you in that? Any lines that stood out? I see some of you wiping tears. Stop giving directions to places you've never been. Anything else stand out to you guys? Yeah, beware. We'll see what's happening when you fall down. There will be steps on the way back up. Fingers through the clouds. I always liked falling is always the first step in flying. Ask anything that has wings. All these lines, what are they doing? They're evoking something from us. They're pulling something out of us. They're, they're pulling an emotion out of us. And that's what poetry does is it paints a picture that touches us differently than just the words themselves. You know, in biology, there is the way our brain works, and the neocortex is the outer portion of the brain, and and it's responsible for our rationale, for analytical thinking, thoughts and language. That's what the neocortex does. But then the two inner portions of the brain, the limbic portion of the brain, they're responsible for our feelings, for our, our ideas of trust and loyalty. And the limbic brain does not have the capacity for language. But it is what drives most decisions that we make. We are moved by what we feel, influenced by what we reason, but it's what we feel that decides how we will interpret those things that we reason. We make a decision not just because we thought it was a good idea, we felt it was a good idea. Have you ever, maybe were looking for a babysitter and someone had all the right qualifications, but you just didn't feel right? It's like, I just didn't feel good about them. Why? That limbic part of your brain said, Mm-mm, I'm not going there. It had a discernment, had this ability to see that. So when we communicate from the outside in, we are trying to convince, trying to tell someone, well, you need to believe in God. Here are some facts to validate creation. Right? We're going to give you this information. And you might say, you know, those are some good points, but you weren't there and I'm not sold. So I don't know about that. And it doesn't matter if you're doing it from a creationist point of view or you're doing it from a different point of view or you're doing it from kind of, a, you know, everything came from nothing, a theory of everything from like Hawking's, you know, well, everything came from a big bang. Well, you weren't there. I, I don't know that you know, and I might not be feeling it. But if you speak from the inside out and you say, wait a second, The inside has no capacity for language. How can you speak from the inside, the emotion out? Ah, that's where poetry comes in. It gives language to emotion. It gives expressions to things that we sense 
but don't know how to say. Long time ago, I went with my brother and my second cousin, and we climbed Mount Whitney, which is the tallest mountain in the continental United States. I did it. I signed my name in a book. Who knows where that book is? I want to find it to prove I did it, but got all the way up there. But in the middle, we stopped like, I don't know, not, it was more than halfway there. It was before these switchbacks. There was like 20 million switchbacks that got us up to the top. We camped there the night before. And in the middle of the night, we were, I was in the tent with my brother and another tent was my second cousin and one of his friends. And I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Right? And it's like, it's freezing out there. It's cold, but you got to go. You got to go. So I got up to go to the bathroom and I stepped outside and I could not believe how bright it was, not because of the moon, but because of the stars. It shook me. There was a blanket of stars and I was so aware of myself in relationship to the stars. And it was a moment that I think about, and it still brings chills to me. I, I, I remember that. I'd never seen stars like that before. I've never seen them like that again. And I probably never see them like that ever, because I don't think I'm going to climb Mount Whitney anymore. But it was amazing. How do you describe that? I, I could give information about how many stars there are. I can give information about how there is no distraction from lights that are coming from you know the cities below, because there were no lights or cities below that we could be influenced by. Well, that's where poetry comes in. I think of the psalmist in Psalm 8, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? That's how I felt. That captures my feeling. Why would you think about me, God? This is immense. I am very, very small in comparison to a universe that is very, very big and magnificent. And so poetry gives the expression that helps us capture What's going on inside? If you want to explain our relationship to the universe, don't ask a scientist, ask a poet. If you want to get a sense. Now, we need science. I'm not debunking it. I'm not saying we shouldn't learn and we shouldn't find out all that we can. We are hardwired to know the truth, but there comes a place where we cannot explain all that's happening in us until we start using these avenues of inspiration, right? The limbic brain doesn't have language, so we have to make up ways to give it language. And that's where music comes in. That's where poetry comes in. That's where dance comes in. All these things that we've been talking about are ways of expression. And again, these are the things that drive humanity. It's how we feel. That's what makes the decisions. It's not, we all think we're Vulcans, right? Yeah, I know, I'm all logical. I only think logical, right? Baloney. That's not true. You make decisions based on how you feel. That's why sometimes we make bad decisions. And so, how do you describe awe? If the limbic brain doesn't have language, we try to fill the gap with all these other ways of expression. 
that inspire us, that give us a sense. I understand. I can sense. I can feel what you're saying. It's not the words alone. It's something that's happening deeper than the words. When our daughter Lauren was born, I was so happy to finally get a girl, right? I was like, yes, got a girl. Let's stop now, okay? But I remember getting a little gift for her from my sister-in-law, and she made a little picture for it, and on it was Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I remember saying that and just weeping because I had wanted a little girl, And I was just like, this is wonderful. This is amazing. It just brought this joy out of me. And and this psalm is one of my favorites, and it's been, and I'm going to go through it with you. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. See, I believe our souls know something before our brains understand it. I I believe that we are able to capture the majesty of the things around us, but fail to have words. And, And Psalms like this just give us glimpses to the things that we actually feel, things that we actually know, but don't know how to describe. And that's where inspiration comes in, where we are able to know things about us, about the world, about our relationship with the world that are actually beyond us. That our souls are able to know the importance of love and of family and of caring and of goodness. Someone doesn't have to explain to us why it's better to be generous than it is to be stingy, even though our tendency can go towards one way there is something we know how do we know it it's in that limbic part of the brain how does it come out in words like these in music in poems in expressions of inspiration we are able to embrace it and to hold it 
Barna Group recently did a survey of all millennials and gen Generation Z, which is like the 80s, 90s, and the 2000s, if you were born in those years. And what they did is they asked them what they thought was important about religion, about faith and spirituality. And they all said almost universally that it's more important than to, to be good than to be true. And I started thinking about that, how powerful a statement that is. It's more important to be good than to be true. When I would do marriage counseling, premarital counseling, I would always give this advice to people. I would tell them it's more important to be kind than it is to be right in a relationship. And I had one person come back to me years later, and she said, thank you so much. That advice has been so helpful to me. In the tendency of always wanting to be right, we can lose the ability to be kind and destroy the relationship. What good is a God who is true who is not good? I want nothing to do with a God who is not good. And no matter how much truth you throw out me, that matters. And it's supposed to matter. And so when we're communicating to people how God feels about them, well, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows you're coming in and going out. He is acquainted with all the things going on, that he keeps your tears in a bottle, the psalm says. Right? Really? Does God have a bottle to keep your tears in? No. It's poetry. It's inspiring. It's helping you to see he is good. And he loves you. That he cares about you. When I was selling lumber, I got to go on a business trip. That's what they called it. It it was an island in Canada. This guy who owned a, it was a plywood mill. He owned his own island. Yeah, nice, right? And so we had to get there on a seaplane. And as we're flying on the seaplane, there's all these little islands around. And the guy says, okay, you're going to be coming into this island. And he goes, which one is it? And he goes, it's the one with the yacht. And he goes, there's a lot of them with yachts. He goes, no, you'll see it. And sure enough, we turned this corner and there is a yacht that's bigger than my house, right? I mean, this thing is just huge. And we land on this, you know, by this island and we get off and we get on the island and there's all these cabins there and we are eating, you know, filet mignon wrapped in bacon and we're going out and we're fishing and we're catching salmon. I think I've told this story before. Our first night out, I caught it was called a coho. It was the biggest fish I'd ever seen in my life. And the guy who is our guide, he picks it up and he goes, oh, that's a beauty, eh? Because he's from Canada. And then he goes, yeah. And then he takes it and he throws it in. He throws it back. And I go, what? You just threw back the biggest fish I've ever seen in my life. He goes, yeah, it's too small, eh? (laughs) The rest of the trip, we are catching fish that made that just so small. It was an amazing trip, right? And then after we caught the fish, they cleaned them, smoked them, freeze-dried them for us so we could take it home. I didn't have to do anything, right? None of that hard work. I just got to enjoy all of this. I've never been the same since. You want to go fishing? Nah, I've been fishing. And one day we were on the island. 
and everyone was there, and the guys say, hey, we're going to go on the yacht, and we're going to go into town. And everyone's like, okay, and they were gonna go, they we're going to go to a strip club. We're going to get you know, some alcohol, and we're going to go to a strip club. And I was thinking, ah, I want to go on the yacht, but I don't want to go to a strip club. And, and on this island, it was just incredibly gorgeous. I mean, there was cruise ships that would go by at night, and they would look like traveling Disneyland going by with all the lights. There was an eagle's nest that was up, and the cook from the place, because they had a cook that would cook dinner for us, would take raw chicken, and he would whistle and throw it up, and the eagles would come and snatch the chicken and take it back up to their nest. I mean, it was just magical. They were like seagulls, but they're bald eagles just circling around. And I remember thinking, I wish Kareen was here. I wish my wife was here. And so I said, I'm going to pass on the yacht trip to the strip club. And I remember being there and I remember just thinking, I miss my wife. And I remember writing her a song because I wanted to express how much more important she was to me than just all the fun and going off to do some guy's thing. It didn't compare to what I had. And I remember being overwhelmed even as I was writing this song, and, and it was a good song. And I got to sing it to her, and she thought it was a good song too. It's probably, I've been banking on this song for years now. <laughs> I remember saying through the music, through the words, that, you know, I'm the richest man in the world. And I was comparing myself to a man who had an island and a yacht the size of my house. And I sang, I'm richer than all of this because of what I have. And I still feel that way to this day. How do I express that? I could tell her, "Hun, I love you more than I had to put it to words and I had to put it to music and it still failed to capture how I feel. We are inspired by these things. And that is why poetry is such a part of scripture. And more than that, it's why the narrative of scripture is what it is. Because it's meant to capture our hearts. If God has our hearts, he has us. What's the greatest, most important commandment, Jesus? Oh, it's to keep this. It's to do this. It's to make sure you do this. It's to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. On this banks all the law, all the prophets, everything you want to know about that, it matters here. That's meant to capture us. If God has our heart, he's got us. And if love is what drives him, it's what's supposed to drive us. The last passage, Paul writes to the Ephesians, for we are his workmanship. That word workmanship in the Greek is poema. We are his poem. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, you are poetry in motion. Haven't you wanted to have been told that? Right? Well, maybe not. I don't know. But that's what you are to God. You are poetry in motion, created to do good works that God has planned, that he's got all around us, like that young girl who just wanted a toothbrush. 
You've been created. A beautiful poem that's able to now express God to the world. Oh my goodness. It should capture us. It should change us. It should rivet us to understand and want to be in that expression. It should help us to breathe in the expression of God and breathe out that expression to the world around us. Let's pray. Lord, it is difficult to put words to something that is beyond words, and yet that's what we are all trying to do. That is what Scripture is trying to do for us. And I pray, Lord, that what we are not able to understand mentally, we are able to understand within. And you would help us to bridge the language barrier between how we analyze things and think about things and the things that really matter and how we feel. And Lord, that we would be able to put our trust in you because you are good. Your mercies endure forever. Lord, that expression is filled with life. It's filled with inspiration. And I pray it would inspire us in how we live. Thank you again for this time. Thank you for all the words that have been written to inspire us. Thank you for poetry that is allowed to tantalize and tease our brains to communicate to our hearts things that matter most. We thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. May the love of God capture your heart. May it inspire you to live a life of poetry in the world around you. Have an amazing week. God bless you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.